0: Lord Jesus, we thank you. We're here today because of you. We're here because your love is so great. We're here because you gave of yourself the way you did. You're here because you have called us to belong to you. And so, in that sense, we are here to offer up ourselves and ask you to speak to us, to show us from your word how it is that we can serve you and reach out to a lost world. Because that is still going on right now and we still need to carry your love. And you have promised us that if we will do that and we will ask in your name, then your Father will grant us what we need to be successful in the harvest, to see more and more people saved and see people taken from darkness to light and be able to understand that life begins in the name of Jesus. We thank You, Lord, in Your name. Amen. Well, good morning. School is going to be starting soon. I, I know that is a bad thought for many people in this room, and some of you may be teachers and all of that, but I thought I would share something encouraging in that regard. There was a uh, teacher, elementary school teacher, who in doing a, uh, a science... Um, project with her kids for a week. Uh, It was all about magnets. And so for that entire week, whenever they would have the science part of the class, she would show them all the marvelous and wonderful things you could do with magnets. How you can drag things across and how if the magnet is on one side and there's some material, you can move that material around. And it was was great. Kids learned all the stuff about magnets. So... The next week, the first day, she decided to have a test. And uh, one of the questions was sort of a who am I question. And so it was who am I? My name has six letters. The first letter is M. I'm powerful and attractive with me, or, or I will. I can pick things up for you. What am I? And so when she got the, the test back, she was kind of shocked to see that only 50% of the class got the thing right and put down magnet. The other 50% put down mother. <laughs> Strong and attractive. And I picked things up. And some people will never get over that, you know. The answer to every question in their life for a long time is going to be, Mom! Well, um, the reason I even brought that story up is because, uh, you know, it's kind of a neat thing that I'm up here preaching. I wasn't supposed to be, but thanks to John and the way the Lord worked things around. Because the thing is, I, I come as sort of a living public service announcement because September is coming. And with that come a whole bunch of things that are beginning, and so that gives me a little bit of opportunity to uh, talk about the usual things that I talk about, right? Now, teacher training is one of them, and that's already been mentioned. I don't need to say a lot there, but I do want to uh, mention this, that kind of what we're building toward in in um, the teacher and helper training is to basically have a bigger um, children's work. And what I mean by that, too, is that um, being able to help in some of those classes not only will show some people maybe how to teach and, or if that's all they ever want to do is help. That's great because, generally speaking, in our Sunday school classes and also in children's church, we only ever have one person in there at a time teaching. And um, what having more people allows us to do is bring in other elements like scene and uh, uh, review games and things that are actually fun and, and helpful that sometimes the teachers don't have an opportunity to play just because they're the only person there. And then along with that, it allows us to spread the schedule out because some people, uh, because of their teaching schedule, either in, uh, say, Sunday school, they miss adult Sunday school, and so if we have more teachers, we can rotate people through this so you maybe only miss a couple of weeks in a row. Aileen, when she does children's church, misses the family Bible hour generally for the entire year until summer comes. And so it would be neat to be able to put people in that class with her, and then eventually people who could switch off with her, maybe a month on, a month off, and uh, she would be able to be in here. Doesn't she look cute sitting next to Daniel. He looks. He does not look as lonely as he often is. But come September again, he will be a very lonely man sitting there. And so that's kind of what we're doing because we have a, you know, in the future, should the Lord bless, we want to have more people that are equipped. And, you know, if you have a family, this is kind of cool stuff to take into your family. Now, the other thing that I'm going to talk about, obviously, is going to be disciple making. So if you give me the passage... Mary conceived and gave birth to a son. I'll say, that's exactly why we need to make disciples. <laughs> Judas went out and hanged himself. Yes, that's exactly why we need to make disciples. It doesn't matter what Scripture passage you give me. Unfortunately, I'm talking about discipleship because I think it's important. And um, I'm going to be talking about it this morning. Uh, one of the things that we have as a challenge uh, this whole year of love is that love is not only a mini-splendor word or whatever you say, but it's also a very general and vague word. And what I mean by that is that especially when we talk about the love of God, I mean, it's like, duh. I mean, those of us who understand it is because um, God loves us, right? He loves everybody. And not only that, if we know Him, we're supposed to love Everybody. So then why break it down like today is love one another? You know, when I was at, uh, I went to Trinity College for a while, and so in my dorm room, and we had a suite, and so there were basically 12 guys, and uh, one day this one guy, Chris, walks into the room, and he started talking to us about the woes, things that had happened to him and everything, and uh, I was on my way heading out of the room when Bob Giovanetti said to him, Chris, just remember this, God loves you. But as I went by him, I said, yeah, but he loves everybody. And they laughed. It was great. It was a, it was a great one-liner. I thank Bob later for setting me up like that. But he does. He loves everybody. And, and so when we read something like this and it says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you, it's like, well, you know, I'm supposed to love everybody. I'm supposed to love My neighbor who cuts his lawn at seven o'clock in the morning on Saturday. I'm supposed to love that guy. I'm supposed to love my boss who gives me rotten jobs. I'm supposed to love Him. In fact, it says in Romans that I'm supposed to love enemies and everything, and if he were to fall down and just be yards away from the vending machine and he's dying of hunger, I'm supposed to go and get a Twinkie out of that machine. I'm supposed to sit down next to him and take off little pieces so that he can digest and shove them into his mouth so that he can live. That's what God wants me to do. So talk to me about loving one another? What does that have to do with anything? Of course we're supposed to love one another. Well, we're going to talk about this a little bit, and um, it's the context that is important here. And I'm going to basically be, be describing why this is impossible for us to do. And we'll see if we, once I describe what the impossibility is, if we can kind of maybe jump over the barrier, and see if we can do something. The context of the only places where Jesus said, love one another, is what we call the upper room discourse. Basically, John 13-17. through 17. Now, this is a very intense piece of Scripture, portion of Scripture here, because Jesus is about to Get his guys ready for him, not only dying but also eventually leaving them. The things that he says here are just amazing they 're precious. These are things that you should read i, I don 't know i 'm telling you this, but there 's the a little bit of a prophet aspect in me, you know not that I, I get direct revelation or, or can add to the scripture because dallas seminary didn 't allow us to do that, but there 's that, that part of saying things out. Now, try not to be too convicting or irritating. But the thing is, this is stuff that we really ought to be reading at least once a year. And if you memorize that, I will guarantee you this, it will give you a headache. Because this is so compressed, what Jesus is saying, but it is so good. The intensity is such that Jesus is trying to prepare them. He tells them at least two or three times, I'm telling you this now so that when it happens, your faith will not fail you. I'm telling you that I'm going to leave you. And this is where Jesus gives us all the teaching about the Holy Spirit. I am going to leave you another comforter, which begs the question, how is Jesus their comforter? I'm going to give you... Another Comforter. So what was Jesus... This is Bible study, folks. This is like sitting down and saying, okay, so what was Jesus doing in their lives while they were with Him? And the Holy Spirit now is going to be doing that for us. What exactly is that? That's worth really thinking about. That's where we get this teaching from the Upper Room Discourse. And whatever that little thing is that I just talked about, whatever Jesus did for them and the Holy Spirit's going to be doing, we're actually going to visit that for a couple seconds here. But it is in the context of this talk that Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you should love one another as I have loved you. In John 13 he says, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So somehow... This commandment is geared to the context of Jesus leaving and what He is leaving them on earth to do. So, if we look at John 15, it describes, I think, the context a little wider, but deeper. In John 15, verse 12, He says this, "...this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends." You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, He may give it to you. Verse 17, This I command you, to love one another. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And this is the context of Jesus saying you should love one another. It's the mission. It's the fact that we are being left here To bear fruit. It is the fact that we are being left here and all the animosity of the world will be pitted against us if we do as He commanded. Now, here's the thing. He says, You are my friends. I have let you know exactly what the Father is doing. If you were just servants, if you were my minions, you know those little yellow guys with one eye, if you were just my minions, I wouldn't be telling you this, but I have brought you in. I have brought you right into the counsel of God. You know what's going on. You know what's happening in the future. And now, I'm giving that to you. And you're my friends if you do as I command you. But here's the bad side, the other side, of if you do as I command you. The animosity of the world will be aimed at you. Therefore, Love one another. In other words, we are supposed to protect and have each other's backs. Now, Jesus comes out and He says, and you can get most of this out of this passage, um, love one another as I have loved you. So how in the world did Jesus love His disciples? And He says here, You did not call Me, but I called you. Jesus called us. To belong to him. Now, without getting really messed up in the Calvinistic and free will thing and everything, I, by the way, I did find something very interesting in the one in your Bible today. And you know what that was? Is that when Ezra or Nehemiah is building the wall, look who was building by the dungate. Right? The dungate. Yeah, nobody wants to talk about the dungate. It was the Rechabites. Now, why is that even important? Because in Jeremiah, God makes an eternal covenant with the Rechabites. And with the Rechabites, what he says is, there will never fail to be a man of your clan who follows me. That means right on earth, right now, there is a follower of Jacob the Rechabite, or Johannes the Rechabite. Well, why that's interesting is this. How in the world did God do that? How did God work all that out? Well, here's what I think. You know, if you look in Romans where it says that God in his foreknowledge, and his foreknowledge always comes before election and all that other stuff, he knows who is going to give their lives to him. And then he starts making executive decisions that we call election and we call predestination. It's just God saying, here's how I'm going to fit you into the family. Here's what your abilities and your skill sets are going to be. I'm going to do that, but I already know you're going to be saved. And so he took Joe. He wasn't even named Joe. And he made sure Joe came up in the clan of the Rechabites. And there he was at the Dung Gate. Isn't that cool? But what that also means is that you're here. Because God knew you would give your life to Christ. And so he started making decisions for you. You were not born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And aren't you happy? But some of you were born in all sorts of weird parts of the world, but God superintended that. So you came up in the family you came up in. That you came up with, a, with a certain things that you would have to struggle with, certain things that would give you strength, certain things that would always keep you on your knees before Him. But God did that. And Jesus says, I called you. And Jesus knew exactly who those guys were. And how His Father had determined all of that. Jesus loved His disciples by involving them. You realize from the first, after the disciples came to Him, it says the Pharisees heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. But then the Apostle John goes, but Jesus didn't actually baptize anybody. We were doing it. Jesus involved them in ministry right away. That's one of the things I've always loved about the brethren. Getting people involved in ministry. Jesus equipped them. He, by the time that they spent with him, he was showing them how to do things. You know, last, last time I preached, I made a joke about, um, we should, as guys, we should get together and just throw a bunch of old nets on the table and mend nets. Well, mending nets means equipping. But you realize that equipping really means Setting things right for service. Getting things fixed so that they can be used for service. That's what Jesus did with his guys. That's why when you get to Acts, they, they know how to do a lot of stuff. They know what to do with three or five thousand people who came come to Jesus because of what Jesus did with them equipping them. Jesus says, I have shown you, or I've told you everything the Father has told me. Jesus opened up this stuff for them, helped their understanding. Jesus sent them. Jesus gave them protection and encouragement. Can you imagine what it was like in those, those, maybe like that last year of walking with Jesus? Because all the animosity of the Jews was pointed at Jesus and pointed at them too. So at Matthew's party, which actually happened early, um, the Pharisees come up to the disciples and take issue with them. It doesn't say Jesus was involved. And they go and they say, hey, how come you guys are eating with tax collectors and sinners? And then it says, Jesus answered. And I can see Jesus looking over there and seeing a group of Pharisees heading over to the guys, and he heads right over there. And he gets right into the middle of the situation, protecting them. And in all of those talks, encouraging them, showing them the future and saying, look, Okay, I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise again from the dead. And they didn't understand it, but he kept telling them, and he kept encouraging them, and he's doing it right now. And then he modeled for them what it meant to be a disciple. And then finally, he laid down his life. And you can you can probably come up with a list better than mine. But when he says to them then, love one another as I have loved you, I think those things need to be incorporated in there somehow as we're doing this we're understanding that God has specifically called you you are not a random person who is sitting in a pew right now so how does that for me as a shepherd teacher what does that say to me about how i should minister or even love you or work with you and what about involving in ministry how how can I do that? If that's my gift set, I'm very concerned about how that kind of thing happens. And equipping, well, I mean, you know, the shepherd teacher comes right out of Ephesians chapter 4, and what does it say? For equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, and there's another gift in there that we don't really bother with. Really, because evangelists are annoying, and nobody wants an evangelist in their church, and so we don't have them. Um, showing, sending, protecting, encouraging. How do you do that kind of stuff? See, that's what I think the context is here for loving one another. I don't think it is just general, benevolent, being kind to one another. I think this is very, very focused. So, what I'm going to tell you at this point with only... 16 minutes left, is that we can't do this. You just can't do it. And part of the reason is this um, you can only do it if you're in the situation. Uh, they say in other places in the world, and uh, I've heard this first in Germany, is that the reason that the language in heaven is English is obvious. North Americans cannot learn another language. Okay, how many people in this room are fluent in another language other than English? Raise your hand. How many of you people were, well, keep your hand up now, keep your hand up. How many of you people were born in the United States? And half the hands went down. So here's the deal. The reason North Americans can't learn another language is we're not immersed. That's really the trick. I mean, and, and I don't mean to make slight of learning German, you know, cause when you go over and you try to learn German, you think, man, I'm gonna have to be a genius. But then the more Germans I met, the re- the more I realized that there are a lot of Germans who aren't geniuses and they learn German, and I thought, well, if they can do it, then maybe I can do it. But here's the deal. If you're not immersed, You can't do it. All right. Unless you're just amazingly gifted. And the reason we cannot do this commandment is we are not immersed, I think, in the context of the commandment. The context of the commandment is working hard in the harvest. And unless we can get hard in the harvest, the power of what this means is not going to be available for us. Okay, you hear people say all the time, how come we are not as generous? How come we are not that church in, in the, the first chapters of the book of Acts, on Pentecost, when those, all those people came to Christ, how they gave of themselves And how they sacrificed and how Barnabas sold land and Ananias and Sapphira did the wrong thing. But, you know, they were willing and they gave and everything. And it's obvious because we don't have that context. Right? If we had that context, we would do it. Look what happens when there's a hurricane or a tornado. Everybody gives. Everybody gives. Right? I mean, when we were, in, uh, we were in Kansas, when something hit uh, some small towns there, and everybody came out of the woodwork. All of the churches helped. But not just all the churches, the Boy Scouts and, and everybody helped. Benevolence is just a part of what we do, but that's not exactly the context of what Jesus is talking about here to love one another. Because here's what I'll tell you. That church over there will do it. And the Methodist church down the road, where maybe, I don't know very much about the Methodist church, but if they're like any other Methodist church, probably only half of them are believing. They'll do it. And even the unbelievers in the Methodist church will do it. And Catholics will do it. Bill Gates will do it. So what are we doing that is different? Because what we're doing is oriented toward the harvest. And the context makes all the difference in the world. The context makes a huge difference. We sing a song around Thanksgiving. Uh, I, think, I think it goes something like Come ye thankful people, come raise a song of harvest home. All are safely gathered in, ere the winter storms begin. That's about all I know of that old song. Anything else would be so wrong? Anyway. Um, anyway. <laughs> Do you realize that when the pilgrims came, uh, most of the seeds they brought didn't work? Totally different environment. Do you realize that the first winter that the pilgrims came, and most of them were Christians, right? Half of them died in Massachusetts of all places. Boy, I'll bet that next year was sure a lot better when that, that one Indian who had been captured twice and made a slave and, by the way, learned English and had an affinity for Englishmen when he showed them how to plant corn. And they finally had a harvest. Then I think when they sang that song, Come ye thankful people, come. Raise the song of harvest home. That meant something to them. Because the last year, half of them had died. I think that makes a difference, right? And I think that makes a difference with us if we're immersed in the context, what about our singing? You know, and I, I don't want to be irritating about this, but you know, I've been in the church uh, from the '70s until now, and I've seen the church go through the the, uh, the worship wars and all of that stuff. And you know what I think has changed? Nothing. I don't think anything's changed. We threw out. Organs. we brought in keyboards, we brought in guitars, we got rid of the old songs, and we brought in the new songs. But what about the context of the harvest? What about seeing and, and straining to see lost people saved and doing whatever it takes? Wouldn't that affect the music a little bit? Like, like how do you encourage you to do this stuff? And, and if you've been worn out and beaten down through the week, wouldn 't those songs make a little bit of a difference? Can you imagine you know some of the some of the songs that get sung or nowadays don 't get sung uh, where they came from? Imagine what would happen if you were uh, a group of slaves in the south, no air conditioning, right working hard, being treated like animals but Many of you are believers and you're trying to keep the flame alive. You're trying in the most hopeless situation you're trying to keep the flame alive with your little kids to try to teach them about this Jesus and everything. But you're living in the worst possible circumstance. You're slaves of white people. And you can imagine in one of these bunk houses one night some guy says, I don't want to wake up in the morning. I don't want to wake up in the morning because of what you have to wake up to. And somebody else says, yeah, but, but maybe we'll be a day closer to freedom in the morning. But you know what? They're not going to be closer to freedom in the morning. There's not going to be freedom in the morning. And in this pitch black, hot bunkhouse, you hear somebody sing, In the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. That's where that song came from. That's loving one another with a song. And the neat thing about that song is you can keep adding verses to it. And it heals people. It can heal people's hearts. It can give them hope. And it did back then. So here's my thing. How are we going to do this? How are we going to do this for one another? Because the music is okay. The music's right. The teaching is right. But we're lacking the context of loving one another because loving one another means lifting each other up because we are all involved in the harvest someplace doing something. And we are zealous to see the name of our Lord lifted up, which means His name is having to be lifted up. And the more we lift up His name, the more animosity there's going to be. The reality is you don't have any enemies And I'm not saying go out and get some. Because it comes natural. The minute you start sharing the Gospel, the minute you start trying to do something with another person for the sake of Christ... I mean, I had this neat little conversation with a neighbor this morning. But you know what? I know it's going to happen eventually I'm going to start talking to them about Jesus and something else is going to happen. And the thing is, we need to be able to pick each other up. We need to encourage each other to be in that process. So here's what I'm going to say right now. I know that everybody here has a heart to do that. I really do. That is one thing I love about the brethren, the the sincere earnestness of wanting to see the name of Jesus lifted up. But it's not going to happen overnight. Not the way it needs to happen. And so, this loving one another is still just going to be kind to one another, encouraging one another. But I think the loving needs to take place in a more condensed atmosphere. And so, what I'm going to say is just to start out doing the most basic thing Jesus told us to do make disciples of one another, get together in groups and start spurring one another on to love and good works. Isn't there a verse about that in the Bible somewhere? And the thing is, you've heard me say this before and I'm going to say it again, I think this only happens in groups. I don't think this happens for 60 years, folks. For 60 years we have been on this weird experiment of meeting in a huge group And sometimes, because of God, these big groups got whittled down into small groups of people who liked each other, who encouraged one another. And Campus Crusade did that. I don't even know if they're still alive today. And Navigators did that on campuses. They may be going to, I don't know. But in churches, we just got to this place, especially in the 80s and 90s, where we meet basically one time a week. A lot of churches just meet one time a week, and they may do small groups, but they may not. So what I'm saying right now is why don't we just, starting out in September, say, look, I need to grow as a disciple. I'm going to get into a small group. I'm going to get into a group of people who kind of help me be accountable to reading the Word of God. Who help me be accountable to reaching out to lost people. Who help me be accountable to see that I have to serve in this group. I need to be in a group like that. Now where where would I even get anything like that? Um I, I want to say I'm getting it out of the word of God. Look really quick at Luke uh, chapter twelve. Luke chapter twelve, verse thirty five. Now a lot of good teaching in this section. But it says this. It says, Stay ready. Dress for action and keep your lamps burning. Be like men who are waiting for their Master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open to Him at once when He comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the Master finds awake when He comes. Truly I say to you, He will dress Himself for service and have them recline at table and He will come and serve them. Do you notice all the plurals? These guys are waiting in a group. For their Master to come. But they're not just sitting on their laurels. They're up. They're girded for work. Their lamps are burning. Isn't that the neat thing about the brethren? I mean, that's the thing we brought to the table. It wasn't our ecclesiology. It was a fact that we taught about the imminent return of our Lord and we had to be Ready? And he teaches that right there. And he's saying to everybody, okay. you know, And Peter's about to ask him that question. Lord, are you speaking to everybody or are you just speaking to us? And Jesus basically says, I'm speaking to everybody. That means you're everybody. And here are these people waiting with their lamps burning. So why are we not in groups with our loins girded up and with our lamps burning? Because Jesus gives a promise. He gives a promise here. And it's like this, because if you read on in this uh, this passage, uh, it's just amazing, right? Verse 41. Oh, no, well, actually, but know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. So also you must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Everybody thought Darby and those guys were idiots when they were preaching this, because there was no Israel back then when they were preaching this. But they were saying the Lord can come at any time. We all have to be ready. See, the thing is, we may not, we may be out of shape for the harvest, but we still need to be ready. Right? We still need to be making each other strong. I think loving one another, keeping each other in shape, and doing all this kind of stuff. Why? Because it's what the Lord commanded. So, Peter, He says, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Hmm. So I guess this is a reward. See, because faith requires that you believe in God and that he rewards those who faithfully seek him, right? So here's a reward. Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Those are very important words. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Find so doing what? Give them their portion of food at the proper time. What was Peter's job supposed to be as the chief executive of the disciples? Hey Peter, do you love me? Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Tend my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Blessed is that servant who when his master comes, finds him so doing. We need to be ministering to one another. And how do we do that? In groups. So, I'm kind of making an advertisement, I guess, for the small groups. I'm making an advertisement for the cycleship groups. You know, I just need you to understand we're killing each other by your individualism. Have you ever tried to set a single log on fire? I mean, unless you have like an unlimited supply of gas, it's amazing how long it takes to set a single log on fire, and then you can't keep it on fire. And that's exactly what we are, men and women. We are like individual logs trying to burn and trying to stay lit. And we're scattered all over the place. And meeting one time on Sunday does not do the trick. So how do you start a bonfire? Well, ask the Aggies, right? You put them all together. And it's amazing that if you take these Logs and put them together, they all keep each other burning. And we're killing ourselves by our individualism. Nobody should have the time not to be in a group. I know there are exceptions, and we'll take those exceptions as exceptions, but... And then there are some people here who are saying, you know what, I'm not that valuable. I don't think Jesus can make a Reproducing Disciple Maker out of Me. But you know the thing is, whenever I hear something like that, I think all you're thinking about is yourself. Because there's this cumulative effect when we're with one another. You don't know the effect you are going to have on another person. And so don't be arrogant and say, I'm not going to have that effect because it's somehow when we come together... That God starts drawing stuff out that you didn't even know was there, or you're there to draw it out of somebody else. I remember when I was a little kid um, watching this program on TV called Combat, right? And um, so the World War II, and uh, they're they're fighting over in you know who knows where they were fighting, Belgium or whatever. And this this group of this army uh, platoon was being held down by snipers. And they had this guy there. This is what the whole episode was about. This guy was worthless. I mean, he I, he didn't know what end to aim forward on the gun. And whenever he'd hear a gun go off, he wanted to cry and everything. So they're in this fight, and there's snipers up in these trees. And the one guy looks at, at Vic Morrow or whoever, and he says, he says, there's nothing we can do. We don't know where they are. And the kid looks up and he says, okay, look in the middle of the tree and then a little bit over to the left. And Vic Morrow looks over and he says, I don't see anything. And then the other guy says, hey, wait a minute, he's right. Those leaves look different. And he says, that's right, they don't match. And so the guy aims for the middle of the tree and a soldier falls out. And he looks over to the other tree and he says, okay, this one is, this kid could identify patterns that were out of place. He was like, rain, man. And you may be like Rain Man, I don't know, or Rain Woman. They never made a movie about Rain Woman, isn't that bad? There's always men who are autistic who stack the little sugar containers and all that. Anyway, the thing is, what you bring into a group, and the point of the group in loving one another is drawing that out of you. You know, in my book, Simply Disciples, I mentioned this woman in China, this farm woman in China where the, the the church had been torn apart and taken away. And she's there, and she's with three men. And she's teaching three men. And why is she teaching three men? Because they have just come to Christ. Who leads people to Christ when the government doesn't want you leading people to Christ? But somebody did that, and she's, she feels responsible for them. And why is she teaching them? Because she's... Older than them in Christ. She's six months old and they just came to Christ. And she's doing with them what was done with her. You can't do that? Of course you can't. Ladies, we need to do something for the younger women in the church. And you can do that. You don't have to be brilliant, but you have to be willing. To get them into groups and to sit with them in the Word of God and watch them catch fire and encourage them in the fact that they can share, and you can pray together for the people that need to be shared with in their network of relationships, and that they can do this with other people. And men, at this point in life, some of you should be seasoned disciple-makers. You should be seasoned disciple-makers. I have a friend back in Dallas... um, named Joe. But uh, Joe came from the founding family of the Polk Street Chapel. Apparently they used to have a reputation. I don't know. But uh, when I met Joe, he was an elder at Wheatland Bible Chapel. And the last time I really had any time with Joe, he had left the Wheatland Bible Chapel years before. That, That place died the minute it was planted in uh, Duncanville. But the thing was, is um, uh, I needed people for my, my study groups when I was writing my dissertation. And so I begged all of my friends, and I begged Joe, please be in my group. So he, he, he liked me, and he came in my group. But this was in the Bible church, right? And um, so we're going through this stuff, and we're talking about discipleship, and Joe takes me aside. And you can ask Laura about this, because he did this more than once. And he said, Dan, Nobody ever showed us how to do this. And so we just did what the guys before us did. And I remember talking to Joe, and I said, okay, so that was then. And and I'm no better. I mean, I'm learning this stuff as I go. I have no clue what I'm doing. Some of you know that, right? But But we can try and we can do it together. And the thing that makes me want to cry is that Joe won't do it. And he's a very smart guy. I mean, when he listens to a sermon, the brethren in him comes out. Man, he's got his notepad out. He's writing down questions and all this kind of stuff. He made himself a student of the Word. But he won't disciple people. He he has no clue what he could build into the hearts of younger men. And you don't have to do anything but invite the men together. You know, it takes all kinds of men to invite all kinds of other guys into a group. The guys I want to invite won't come, but if Dick asks them, they will. The guys I want to invite won't come, but if Abraham asks them, they will. What's wrong with me? Nothing. But people have a different affinity for different people. We need all kinds of disciple-makers for all kinds of disciples And when you get these guys together in a group, after a while, reading the Word together, you start hearing, that's the fat, the bacon, starting to sizzle. It's the first thing that happens when you get close to the fire. And these guys start cooking. And you start making disciples. Not everyone will be a disciple. But what I'm saying is this. We need to do it. And we need to start today. Forget the past. I mean, there's a lot we can build on in the past. But you know, the two best times to plant a tree, ten years ago and today. So let's start today, right? And there should be no excuse for anyone here to say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to slide for home. (laughs) Nobody will even know. I'll just, you know... I'll get to heaven and I'll look pristine. I won't have any marks or anything. You know, somebody has said that that good health is only the slowest possible way to die. Think about it. There doesn't need to be any of that here. Let us give everything we have for Jesus Christ. He is the one who said... Love one another as I have loved you. He put Himself, He poured Himself into these guys. Love one another as I have loved you. And He said, start like this. Be like men who have their loins girded and their lamps burning. They're waiting for their Master. And I guarantee if we do that, men and women... We are going to start seeing the Lord doing amazing things, and He's going to be doing it, maybe not through you, but through somebody in your group. Somebody who reaches out to a friend, who reaches out to a friend, who reaches out to a friend, and all of a sudden, things start, but we have to start. And so I'm asking you to think about this fall. Small groups, small groups can have a reading the Bible component to them. Why not? Or being in a discipleship group. We have guys who are ready right now. We'll take anybody who comes. But we got to start. And we have to keep our lamps burning and expect that our Lord is coming at an hour we do not expect. So we need to be ready for Him. And blessed are those servants who when their Master comes, open the door for them because He will have them sit down at a table and He will gird Himself and He will serve them. And I think that's going to be a great party. And I don't care about any of that I just want to see the look on his face. Father, uh, I can't speak for everybody here, but I'm ready. I just want to see you do more with my life. I know that I have my places where I'm holding stuff back. I just don't want that to be the case. I want um, all of my interest to be thrown down. I want my life to shine for Jesus Christ. I want to see people raised up who are just in love with Jesus. I want to see people raised up who know how to make disciples. I want to see people raised up who are better than I am at going out and engaging lost men and women with the wonder of what it means to know Him. And so, Father, if our hearts are willing, You have said that where two or three are gathered in Your name, where they are agreed on earth about anything, if we ask, In Jesus' name, you will do it. And I pray that you would build us up, that you would put us into groups, that you would do incredible things in our lives, that we would make disciples. If we can't do anything else on this planet, help us to make disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples. We have women here who are powerful, godly women, and they need their lives to be poured into the women who are behind them. Who are just coming up, Father, I just pray that you would give them the courage to do that, and I pray that you would give us as men the courage to not go peaceably to our graves, to go out with our boots on to engage if we got one year left to engage, because there are guys here who would love the ability to get together and just just to sit and to discuss scripture and to discuss what it means to follow. And we don't have to be supermen. All we have to do is be available. And that, I think, is all Jesus was asking us to do. When He said, love one another as I have loved you. So we thank You, Father. We thank You for putting this privilege in front of us. And I pray that this, this time, uh, maybe, maybe there will be five, six, ten guys, I don't know, But we pray that it would be all for You and that our Lord would be lifted up and glorified. In His name we ask. Amen.